This is More Christianity, exploring the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church with Father Dwight Longenecker, former Anglican priest, now Catholic author, blogger, and speaker. And now, from the WCKI studios in upstate South Carolina, Father Dwight Longenecker. Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, your host, and here on this program we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Week by week we have a different theme. Sometimes we explore the life and the writings of a particular saint, and this week we're looking at one of the most famous of Catholic saints, Saint Benedict. Along with the saint, we also have a person who's a guest whose life is particularly devoted to that saint in some way. And today our guest is a friend of mine, Father Bart Leon. He is a former Benedictine monk. He now serves as a pastor of the Catholic Maronite Church in Greenville, South Carolina, also a chaplain to the Greenville Hospital System. Father Bart will be with us in the second half of the program. I'd like to tell you the story today about St. Benedict. St. Benedict was born in the second part of the 500s in Italy. He came into this world from a noble family, a wealthy family. And like a lot of uh, wealthy young men, he was sent off at college age to go and study. And he was sent from this country estate in Umbria, which is a bit north of Rome in Italy, uh, off to the great city of Rome to study. And like a lot of college kids, he found that college life was made up of not much more than parties. He was disgusted, actually, by the loose living of the other college students, by the drunkenness and the carousing and the lack of seriousness of the other young men who were there to study. And so he dropped out of college. And he went up into the hills of Subiaco, a little bit north of Rome, where there was a group of virtuous men living the religious life. We have to understand that then, the end of the 500s, the situation in the Roman Empire was very serious. During Benedict's lifetime, the great Roman Empire was crumbling. There was no money to pay the soldiers, no money to pay for the basic services. The entire Roman civilization was crumbling into decadence, into disarray, and into chaos. There was social unrest, there was rioting, there was a lot of loose living, and the whole society and the culture was basically coming apart at the seams. And it's in this context that Benedict, as a young man, wants to take life more seriously. There were no monasteries at the time. Monasticism had started in the Christian church in the mid-300s to the late 300s in Egypt, and in Greece and in what is now Turkey, some of the monks began to establish communities, but in Italy and in the West, monasticism had not yet been established, and Benedict, however, went to live with a loose-knit community of men who were trying to pursue the monastic or the religious life, probably following the rule of St. Basil or one of the other religious rules that was established at the time. Now, when he got there, He cut his teeth on the monastic life pretty early on by living as a hermit in a cave, giving his life to prayer and fasting and penance. Eventually, he went to live in community, and in that community, there were problems, there were tensions, and there were leadership problems, and uh, eventually, Benedict was asked to leave because he was too strict for the rest of them, and he wound up down in Monte Cassino, which is south of Rome in Italy, and on a mountaintop there, he established his community. Now, we have to imagine that uh, Benedict in his time was not establishing one of the great monastic houses we think of later in Europe. Instead, it was a simple hillside farm with about 10 or 12 men living together there, just like all the other Italian peasants scraping a living out of the farmland and trying to live together a simple life. 
He studied the different monastic rules that, are, that were established at the time, and the rule of the master, the rule of St. Cassian, the rule of St. Saint, uh, Basil in the East, and he developed his own rule, uh, the rule book for, for living together as, as monks in the religious life, and he wrote his famous Rule of St. Benedict, which has been a classic of Western spirituality ever, ever since. Benedict's basic rule is very simple. The men are living together a life of prayer. They take three particular vows, the vow of obedience to their abbot, the vow of stability of life, and the vow of conversion of life. Those three, obedience, stability, and conversion of life, are the cornerstone of the Benedictine life. We're going to talk about those vows a little bit later with Father Bart Leon, a former Benedictine monk, now a priest in the Diocese of Charleston, uh, who's going to talk about his life in the monastery and his life devoted to the rule of St. Benedict and the Benedictine way of life. Now, St. Benedict established this rule for his men to live together in simplicity, following the Lord Jesus in a life of prayer, work, and study. And those three give us the other three aspects of the Benedictine life, work, prayer, and study. The monks meet regularly in the chapel, short times of prayer throughout the day. Seven or eight times during the day, they come into the chapel to pray. Their prayer times are interspersed with all the daily activities that all of us have preparing and fixing meals, cleaning the house, doing the chores. In Benedict's time, they lived a simple agrarian life. They looked after the animals. They tended the garden. They drew the water. They built the farmhouse with their bare hands. They lived a simple country life. In addition to the work and the prayer, they also had an ideal of study, reading the great books. Remember, in Benedict's time, there were no printing presses. Everything was recorded in manuscripts. These manuscripts were very precious And we have Benedict to thank for preserving some of the wisdom of ancient Greece and Rome. In the monasteries, eventually, they became uh, known as places of scholarship. They had libraries in order to continue this work of study and prayer. And so the monasteries eventually became centers of culture, centers of learning. They had schools associated with them. Eventually, if the local people wanted health care, they went to the monastery. If they wanted education, they went to the monastery. If they wanted worship, they went to the monastery. Before long, Benedict's monasteries spread all across Italy, France, eventually up to England, Scotland, Spain, Germany. So these little pockets of civilization were the cornerstone of what was going to become the great Western flowering of the Christian faith in the Middle Ages. These monasteries eventually grew. They grew in size and in wealth and in influence. And eventually all across Europe, there was a network of Benedictine monasteries in which men and eventually women as well were following this simple rule of obedience stability of life and conversion of life, and also uh, a simple life of work, prayer, and study. This is why St. Benedict is actually called the patron of Europe. It's because in the history of Europe, we see that once the Roman Empire crumbled, other empires came in and tried to take over the reins of power, but it was Benedict's monasteries planted all across Europe as little seeds of a new civilization. Men living a simple, serious life of prayer, work, and study, following Jesus Christ, preserving the great riches of the cultures from the past, and passing them on to a next generation. Out of these seeds of culture that were planted all across Europe, that eventually uh, we had the great achievements of Western European civilization. Thomas Woods, in his book, How the Catholic Church Built Western Civilization, actually shows how from the monks of St. Benedict, we have a whole range of different developments. Modern science is based on the discoveries of the scholarly monks, modern literary studies, modern music, modern law, the idea of the university, all the cornerstones of our civilization today 
came out of this humble man who simply went out into the country to do the best he could in the midst of a crumbling civilization and planted the seeds of a new civilization which came out of the old. St. Benedict was a wonderful example of prayer and holiness, but also a wonderful example of what it means to really appreciate Catholic culture. And that's what this program, More Christianity, is all about. I've always enjoyed Benedict. I myself am a Benedictine oblate. That means I'm a third-order Benedictine. I'm not a monk, but I follow the way of the St. Benedict the best I can uh, through my own life and teaching. I've written a couple of books about it, St. Benedict and St. Therese, The Little Rule and The Little Way, and also Listen, My Son, which applies the rule of St. Benedict to the problems and difficulties and the joys also of family life. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to More Christianity, the program where we explore the richness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Stay tuned for the second half of our program where we're going to talk to Father Bartley on a former Benedictine monk. More Christianity is also the name of one of Father Longenecker's most popular books, based on the idea that the Catholic faith is more than, not something different from, Protestant evangelicalism. Father Longenecker shows how Catholicism completes and fulfills other expressions of the Christian faith, perfect for evangelical Christians who want to understand the Catholic faith better. More Christianity is available through Father Longenecker's website, dwightlongenecker.com. Why not connect with Father Longenecker every day through his popular blog, Standing on My Head? Why the weird title? Because G.K. Chesterton said, a scene is most often more clearly seen when it is seen upside down. In Standing on My Head, Father Longenecker writes on current issues, blogs about the faith, and entertains with his wacky alter egos, inspiring us to stand firm in our Catholic faith, a faith which stands the world on its head. Welcome back to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. And in this segment of the program, we're talking about a saint, and that saint is St. Benedict. St. Benedict, the founder of the Benedictine Order, patron of Europe. And my guest today is Father Bart Leon. Father Bart is a former Benedictine monk, now a Benedictine oblate. He serves as Catholic chaplain to the Greenville Hospital System. He's also the pastor of St. Rafka Maronite Church, a very strange mixture, some people might think. Father Bart, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Father Dwight. Now, Father, you have been a Benedictine monk, and how long were you actually in the monastery? From 1979 to this year. So about 32 years as a Benedictine monk, but you've just had a transition in which you've decided that you're now a diocesan priest. Well, the transition wasn't quite my choice. The monastery that I belong to, Mm -hmm. Corpus Christi Abbey in Sandia, Texas, was closed by our congregation, and so all of the monks had to either go into another monastery or become diocesan priest. And so you moved into a time of transition, and now you've made that resolution, and you've become a diocesan priest. Yes, I did. Nevertheless, 30 years in the monastery, 30 years under the instruction and the guidance of St. Benedict must have impacted your life. It did, and I was fortunate to have the rule of St. Benedict in my life very young. The sisters that taught me were Benedictines out of Covington, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Then I went to seminary college run by Benedictine monks of St. Joseph Abbey. So the Benedictine way of life, even though I'm not living in the monastery, I'm still a Benedictine and always will be in my heart and life. I've spent a lot of time visiting Benedictine monasteries all across Europe when I lived in England, and it's a wonderful opportunity to get more deeply into Catholic spirituality. What are the things in St. Benedict's rule which impacted your life the most greatly, would you say? Well, first of all, community life and living with the brethren, praying with them, and the whole 
opportunity to pray the church's prayer, the Liturgy of the Hours, in community. And it formed our day from the time we woke up to the time we went to bed. But also living under the rule of St. Benedict, 72 very short, simple chapters Mm -hmm. that were just the scriptures rearranged so that a monk, one who is seeking God, could live while seeking God within the community and serving the church. And how does St. Benedict's rule vary from some of the other vows which religious take? How is it different from Franciscans, for instance? Well, first of all, since we're the oldest order, other things popped into existence after us. The Benedictine rule asks the monk to make three vows after it's been determined that he is seeking God. There's the vow of obedience to the abbot, the vow of conversion of life, conversion of morals, which implies poverty, living in the goods of the community, and chastity. And then also the vow of stability to a particular monastery, where other communities would take the simple vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. The other difference also, isn't it, that a Benedictine is a monk, which means he is enclosed, he's meant to stay at his monastery. Yes, to work among the monastery property and apostolate. Right, whereas the Franciscans, like the Dominicans, are friars, which means they're out in the world, they're out and about doing more apostolic work. Exactly. I think a lot of people actually confuse the two. They they see a, a fellow in a habit and they just say, oh, that's a monk. But a monk and a friar are two very different creatures, is that right? Exactly. Benedict has people coming to the monastery and participating in the life of the monastery. Franciscans, Dominicans, and that. The mendicants have the the monastery as the home base, but then the friars go forth from there and minister to the people and come back home. One of the temptations, I think, for people like myself who have this attraction to the monastic life is is that it's kind of a getaway. Now, did you find that there was that temptation for people to be drawn saying, oh, I want to have a be a holy monk and come to the monastery, and it's really kind of a cop-out? It was, is, and was. We had a man show up one day at our community in Texas, and I was a junior professed at the time before I was ordained a priest, and he had clearly been drinking, and he knocked at the door and he said he wanted to come in, he wanted to be a monk. So I had to go tell the abbot, I said, there's a guy out there. So he went out there, investigated, and he told me, quick, get a habit, we have to invest, brother, Paphnutius, and go get the forms, and then we'll sign him up, and he'll be assigned for life, and we'll have him milk the cows. At It'll, five in the morning, right? If I, if I, of course, <laughs> those sorts of things. And so when all of a sudden the guy th- realized, you know, this is not the place for me, and he right. took and, off. He, that sounds like one very, very wise abbot. <laughs> he was. To penetrate that story a little bit deeper, weren't there some monks as well who had mixed motives? Were there some monks who started the novitiate, perhaps, and even though they seemed to be good candidates and serious candidates, they too were actually looking for an escape from life rather than looking for reality? Very much so. We had several postulants who entered the community who were upset by a work schedule because we'd say, well, now we're going to assign you to clean the refectory floors. And they said, well, we didn't come to the monastery to do that. We came to pray. Right. Well, the, the rule of Benedict is very clear. It's ora et labora, work and pray. Right. And so you can't live in a dirty place. Well, you could, but I mean, it's not practical. And so we had to teach these men that came to the community that they weren't just going to wear a habit all day and be in the chapel staring at Jesus from the, from the back pew, but they were going to be working supporting themselves, helping the community support itself, as well as praying. And many times, as we know, prayer and work can go hand in hand. Yes, and in fact, that's actually part of the rule, isn't it? When I was studying the rule, one of the things which I was very impressed with was the way Benedict weaves into his instructions about work 
some of the phraseology and some of the words from the liturgy and some of the actions from the liturgy. So, for instance, when brothers come to the refectory, that is the dining room, to take over their kitchen duties from their other brothers for that week, doesn't the rule say that they should bow to one another and say, the Lord be with you and with your spirit? And so the work in the kitchen reflects the work in the chapel, where the monks are also bowing to one another in a ceremonial way and using these liturgical phrases. So in a way, the the work in the chapel, the work in the kitchen, all become of one piece. Exactly. The life of the monk, total life, outside of the church as well as within, becomes one life that's connected together. And we learn from the liturgy, and then when we go forth from the liturgy of the Eucharist, the liturgy of the Word, that we live what we have just prayed. So the Benedictine monk has three vows, obedience, conversion of life, and what was the third one? Stability to that particular monastery. So stability really means being rooted in that particular place. Obedience means breaking my will and, and submitting to another. And conversion of life is the end result. Is that how you can read it? Exactly. And for us, I think the, probably the hardest vow was, uh, with any human being is obedience to the abbot. Because, as you just pointed out, it's saying, my will, even though I want this, I have to subjugate myself to the abbot who we see taking the place of Christ. This is so fascinating because so often in the lives of the saints— you'll see them having to fight this fight to go through this great struggle. And you read the lives of the saints and you you see this great soul who has to subject himself or herself to an abbot or an abbess or a bishop or a monsignor or someone in the hierarchy that they have to obey. And yet this person, from a human point of view, is very, very difficult to obey. That's true. And first of all, we see the abbot as being elected by the community with the grace of the Holy Spirit. So we see them being appointed by God and then taking the place of Christ. And even whatever human frailties they may have, sometimes they may ask us to dig a hole, then fill it with rocks, and then unfill it, go back to the original state. The the thing is, it's not the task or the person. It's the actual obedience that's involved, that it really tests us to see who we are, that we can bend our will to come into submission, not to a human person, but really to the authority of God. And, and that's what I heard someone say who was speaking on the Benedictine rules, saying that the reason for the obedience is so that the monk is trained almost like a soldier to obey, so that then when God calls them, they will respond with instant obedience. Exactly. And in fact, the root of the word obedience is to listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that the fact, therefore, that the first words of St. Benedict's rule are, listen, my son, that a, a deep listening is required in order to be able to do God's will. How does that listening actually affect your life in the monastery? Because monks are famous for their vow of silence. You know, the old joke, the monk was allowed two words for his first year, and he said bad food, and two words for his next year, and he said bad bed, and two words for his third year, and he said, I quit. (laughs) So monks have this reputation for silence. What does that have to do with listening? Well, it's funny because you mentioned that about the vow of silence, and there's no such thing. Mm -hmm. Benedict in the rule is very clear that the monastery needs to be silent so that people there, the monks, can listen to God. And the whole prologue that you quoted, the very beginning of the Holy Rule, listen, my son, to your master's precepts Mm -hmm. and incline the ear of your heart. Well, if there's constant noise around you or you're constantly chattering, you can't hear what God is asking of you. And that becomes so important 
that you need the time, the silence, and the space. Even now, living on my own, it becomes very important to me after having spent a day at the hospital, at the day at the parish, to come home to a quiet, peaceful environment without turning on the TV or anything else and just having that time to say to the Lord, Lord, it's been a long day, and to have that time to pray, to reflect, and then finally, after some peace and quiet time, then be able to have a little bit of of noise or function around me. Father Bart, if I may say so, one of the marks that you bring to your ministry is a personality which communicates a great sense of peace. You're at peace with yourself. You're at peace with other people. You seem to be very happy in your own skin. Do you think that that peace that you have is Is that just because that's the kind of guy you are, or is this the product of 30 years in the monastery? I think it's a combination of both. I was blessed that I didn't have a temper, don't have a a major temper, so I'm not screaming, yelling, throwing things at people, and I kind of avoid that kind of behavior from others. But 30 years in a monastery of living with a group of men who were as varied as any workplace would be, it helps you to take life at its simplest and realize that you cannot change a person. That's not your role. So you simply live with them, their idiosyncrasies, their gifts, and you go on. So I think that's been able for me to be at peace. Not many of us can actually take the monastic vows. However, we are in desperate need of the wisdom of St. Benedict in our world today. One of the books I've written, as I'm also a Benedictine oblate of of Belmont Abbey, uh, is Listen, My Son, St. Benedict for Fathers. What kind of advice would you give, Father Bart, for uh, people who are looking for a way of wisdom in the world, married people, family members? What does Benedict say to them? I think, first of all, balance, that whole notion from the rule of ora et labora, pray, and work, that you've got to have a balance in your life. If you're a workaholic and you're avoiding your family, you may put bread on the table and money in the bank, but you don't have a relationship. So you've got to have a balance. So I think that's important. And I also think that that whole notion of listening is important because we're constantly talking. We've got to listen to our spouse, our children, our parishioners, those around us. What are they really trying to tell us? Mm -hmm. So I think that as a former monk now, to say to people, take the rule and live this in its greatest simplicity. Listen to one another. Also have that balance And when you have that balance, when you're listening, you're going to find a greater peacefulness. And that can be applicable to families, to businesses, to church communities. It can be really a sense of of driving force behind us. I've also observed the need for stability in our lives, especially in our modern fast-paced life, where we're always running after the next entertainment, the next greater job, the next best career. And sometimes we just have to return to our roots and put our roots deep and just settle down a little bit and stop running around quite so much because that's where we're going to find the peace. Would you agree? I would agree. I I grew up in a stable home in New Orleans, and my mother died in that home in 2006. They bought it in 1954, so I wasn't used to moving around. So when they told me in the monastery, you're going to have to take this vow of stability, well, gee, what's new about staying in one place? Okay. Now, what, what about the vow of obedience? The monk is clearly in obedience to his abbot, a diocesan priest to his bishop. What about lay people? Who are they supposed to obey? First of all, God. They have to know the commandments of God. They have to understand that these are not suggestions, but these come back from God himself, given to Moses, brought down from Mount Sinai. But then also understanding the teachings of the church, and not just taking it face value, but to delve into them. Why do we have these different regulations? 
And if you look, the church doesn't ask that much of us, but what it does ask of us is for discipline, for a good moral life. And when we're on a good moral track, it becomes easier to live life. And also the other aspect about obedience, I think there's a detail at the end of the rule where Benedict says that at the end of the day, the monks are supposed to obey one another. There's this aspect of mutual obedience so that when you live in community, you obey one another. Now, I think what he means by that is, therefore, I am called to listen to everyone that I live with very carefully because the root of obedience is to listen. And I'm also, therefore, called to serve everyone that I'm, I'm with. There's this kind of mutual service locked into the idea of obedience. Exactly, because each monk, especially the older monks, are to be examples to the younger monks. And if the younger see fidelity in the older, then it becomes easier for them to say, look, Father Pancratius has been living this way 50 years, or Brother Paphnutius 25, and they haven't broken yet. If they can do it, I can do it. I'm talking to Father Bart Leon, who is a former Benedictine monk, and he's sharing with us his life with St. Benedict. Father, can you tell us any amusing stories from the monastery? You must have some things which have happened which you can tell a general audience. Just living in community, you come to see your community members as your family, and you learn people's idiosyncrasies. You learn their likes, their dislikes, and this sort of thing. And so we would play on those, as, as any human would, we would do practical jokes a lot in the monastery. We knew that one brother was just frightened of anything that went bump in the night and a special room. We knew that he would have to go into for some of his work, and we put a skeleton in there, and he opened up the door, and the skeleton fell out. He went screaming in terror. <laughs> was it well, a real skeleton? It was a real skeleton. Um, one of the local funeral homes had, had gotten for us. We're, we were close to the monks at Cor Abbey on the Isle of Wight in England, and we, one Christmas, took them a whole basket of Christmas cookies. And Mrs. Longenecker put three dog biscuits in the basket and mixed them in with the other cookies. And none of the monks said anything. And it was about Easter till we finally got around and said, by the way, did you enjoy those cookies we brought them? And, and the monks said, oh, yes, we enjoyed them very much. And we had the vision of the monks passing the cookies out on Christmas Day and one of the novices getting a dog biscuit, but not being able to say anything about it. So I'm sure that uh, life in the Benedictine monastery is full of uh, joys and sorrows and, and good relationships and difficult relationships, just like everywhere else. Exactly. My guest today has been Father Bart Leon. He is the chaplain at the Greenville Hospital System in Greenville, South Carolina, the pastor of St. Rafka Maronite Church. And we're going to have to get together another time, Father Bart, to talk about the Maronites. But he's been here talking today about St. Benedict and his life for 30 years as a Benedictine monk. Thank you, Father Bart. Thank you, Father Dwight. Finally, Father Bart, can you give us your, your priestly blessing? I'll be glad to. Well, Lord, Heavenly Father, we ask that you look upon all who are listening to this broadcast and that through the intercession of St. Benedict, that you give them peace of heart and the balance of life and that gift of silence that we all need. And may all be blessed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Amen. More Christianity explores the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church and comes to you from the WCKI studios in upstate South Carolina. Tune in every week for Father Dwight Longenecker's perspectives on Catholic culture, social issues, saints, converts, and the supernatural aspects of the Catholic faith. For more about Father Longenecker's work, his website is dwightlongenecker.com. <laughs>